0: Why am I here? That's a good question. As we're sitting in a place called Garbage City, the poorest of the poor live in this particular region of Cairo. This community of about 3,000 people have been here for 20 years. Uh, I learned today that there has been a vision by a man who grew up here. Ten years ago, he felt called to, to plant a church here. He became a Christian, came out of this community, and he's been praying and studying and working toward that vision becoming a reality. انا بصلي ان الكنيسه هنا تكون مذبح للمكان وبصلي ان المكان يكون هنا نور للاماكن حوالينا علشان كده احنا صلينا واتكلمنا مع الاستاذ وسيم نكون في شراكه مع الكنيسه ونكون بنخدم ربنا هنا مع بعض بشراكه ونوصل رساله المسيح لكل النفوس اللي, اللي على قلبها تعرف الرب يسوع المسيح وانا عندي ايمان ويقين ان ده هيحصل that she would give her strength, that she would find your joy in the midst of her life. They have built the the shell of a building, they are doing cell group meetings, they are working with children, they're working with teenagers, there's a vision for a clinic, I mean it's, it's amazing what all God is doing and the only way this is possible really is for God to birth a vision in somebody's heart. الله العالم الله اختار, الله العالم بيهم الله اختار الأدنيات, المزدارة, غير الموجود, علشان يبطل بيهم الموجود. هو ده إلهنا. الله الله غيرني والله بالرؤية اتجاه ال- ان- ان الناس, هنا تتغير الناس هنا تعرف we feel like we are simply trying to be obedient to what god is opening up for us as a door of opportunity and man what a great time to be alive and to be partnering with him and with other Christians in seeing the gospel shared. People coming to Christ and the kingdom being built to the glory of God through his son Jesus Christ.
1: Just think about it. Here's a man who just grew up in a city of poverty and made his living by selling plastic and, and whatever else he could find in this scrapyard. And here's a person that God laid on his heart after he came to faith in Christ, gave him this vision that there should be a church in that area. Now, when we plant a church, we have resources, we have people around us, we have uh, an abundance of the gospel, and we can respond to that. But in this particular situation, there were no other believers or very few other believers. And yet here this man Stepped out in faith and he said, Okay, God, I'm presenting myself to you, all that I am and all that I have. And literally, all that he had was his body and the clothes that he had on his back. And he said, I want you to do something special in my life. Now, I don't believe that this guy had formal education. He probably couldn't have afforded it on the basis of what he's made in the junkyard. But I do believe that God richly supplied him with the vision and the the knowledge of what to do as he studied the Word of God. And he took one step of faith. And before long, you saw a core group of people. And then that core group of people grew into a body, a church. And now today, 10 years later, there is a a group of people that meet weekly to worship God. They probably meet more than that because of all the ministries that they are doing there in the midst of Garbage City in Cairo, Egypt. And it makes me wonder for myself, does my life matter for the kingdom? I wonder if we as believers have truly presented ourselves and said, God, take this. Take this individual. Take what I have, all the resources, and I want you to do something special. I lift my life up as a spiritual act of worship before you, God. And I'm asking that you would do something special in my life that I could impact the world around me and have a kingdom impact that will outlive outlive me. Today we're going to be talking about being a spiritual act of worship, actually being that person, doing the spiritual act of worship by presenting ourselves to God. Now we have a lot of questions that we're going to answer today. You'll see five questions on the screen. All five of these questions are questions that we're going to be thinking about throughout this message now, don't worry about it. If you got a handout, they're all on there. But here's the progression of where we're going to go. We're going to first to talk about the idea of surrender and how surrender is the foundation for anything else in our life. If we have not surrendered everything to God, then we're not going to be able to progress forward. You're wondering about using your spiritual gift. You cannot progress forward very well if there's not a foundation of surrender in your life. And a foundation of surrender is going to allow us to work with one another in cooperation without pride and without us being puffed up. And then we can effectively serve using our gifts. And so that's the progression of our passage in Romans chapter 12. We're going to be looking at verses 1 to 8. And so as you turn there, let's just pray that God would help us to understand and to see what he wants us to see today. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for the rich privilege that we have to worship you. I thank you already for the songs that we sang that are just... Uh, interwoven with the scriptures about jars of clay and you working through the jars of clay. We see that that's right from your word. And Lord, we pray that there would be a heart of surrender. And if there's that heart of surrender, then we will be able to pour ourselves into other people. So Lord, I pray that you'd help us with especially this foundation of what it means to surrender. Thank you that you've given us your word. To help us understand. And we pray that in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to be looking at Romans chapter 12. And last week we looked at Ephesians. Now there's a similarity between Ephesians and Romans. Paul is the writer of both. But when Paul wrote the book of Ephesians. I told you last week. That he wrote that with the intention of giving the thesis of what the church is all about. Romans is a little bit different. Paul is writing Romans as the thesis of what the gospel is all about. What the good news, salvation is all about. And we're going to find in the first 11 chapters of Romans, he's laying the foundation of how God provided salvation for mankind. And then we see in Romans 12 through 16, how God uh, says, now that you know salvation, now that you do follow Christ... This is how you are to live out your salvation in a sense with fear and trembling. And so as we look at Romans, just know that Romans 12 is the pivotal part of the book because we've gone from what God did for salvation and now we're understanding how is it we should live. And so this is what he does. In verse 1 and 2, he starts off with this idea of surrender. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So here's the first question that I believe Paul is, in a a sense, presenting, and that is, where did I come from? Because the very first phrase is the only thing that looks backwards. Everything else is going to look forwards. And so when he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, he's uh, inferring that all the things that we've talked about shows how God has lavished his mercy upon us. Now, if you're not familiar with the book of Romans, you open it up and it starts with how God has shown his incredible character through creation. And God has done that to display to the world and to have a witness, no matter where we are in the world, that God exists through creation. But then it progresses and says that man rejected the love and the kindness that the Creator gave to all mankind. And man has invented ways to sin against God. We learn ways of how to lust, we learn new ways on how to be evil, we learn new ways how to lie, how to gossip, we learn new ways how to sin. It says in Romans that we invent ways to sin before God. And so here we are in all of our ugliness, and God should reject us completely. But the story of Romans is so beautiful because it goes on and says, but God, but God demonstrated his love. See, it says that but God, even though some might die for a good man, Very rarely will they die for a sinful man. But God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, while we were in that disgusting state of inventing sins to go against God, doing our own thing, God loved us, and he sent his son to die for us as a sacrifice. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. That saved a wretch like me. That's the message of Romans in the first 11 chapters. And it's interesting. It doesn't stop there. It gets to Romans 10 and he says, this is what you need to do. You simply need, now that you understand your sinful nature, you need to confess your sins before God and accept him as your Lord. Meaning that he is the captain. He is the ones in control. He's the one calling the shots. You need to accept him as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And it says you will be saved. This is the message of Romans. And then it ends out in Romans chapter 11. He goes, oh, the depths of the riches of both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unfathomable are his ways and how incredible God is. Who has become God's counselor or who has given him advice? For from him and to him and through him are all things. To him be the glory forever. And so Paul magnifies the incredible wisdom that God would even think in such a way to love mankind the way he did. And then he comes to Romans chapter 12 and says, I appeal to you. I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God. And so what he's doing is he's asking us to consider our sinful condition. Asking us to consider where we came from. Where we were at one time in our life. That's what he wants us to understand. Friends, do you remember the lack of joy that was in your life at one time? Do you remember the aimlessness that you had? Do you remember the destructive nature of your sin. We got everything we deserved in the destructive nature of our sin. In fact, we deserved more. We deserve to be separated from God for all eternity. That's what we deserve. But God, but God shows up and he did something. He threw us the lifeline. The only lifeline, by the way, The lifeline that said that Jesus Christ died for your sins. He came to rescue you. And so all you have to do is grab a hold. All you have to do is believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and you will be saved. This is the amazing gift of God. This is the amazing grace of God. And when it says mercy, the very word mercy, Paul used it very intentionally because mercy means not getting what we do deserve. Not getting what we do deserve. He, we're not getting what we deserve when we come to faith in Christ. We deserve nothing. But God lavishes his goodness upon us when we surrender him. He gives us a new nature. He changes us from the inside out, as we're going to see in this passage. And it's a beautiful thing that God offers us. But my friends, I fear, I fear, and I'm going to make this general, I fear that the church in America has become lethargic and full of apathy in terms of our faith. We come to church sometimes and we sing the songs. We pray the prayers. We listen to the messages. But it doesn't go further than that. It doesn't affect our life. And we're not involved in the kingdom work. So my question this morning is, church, are you involved in the kingdom work of God? Church, it's time for us to allow God's mercy and his grace to drive us to a new place in our walk with God. A new place in our walk with God. A place where our gifts are known and implemented. Are you with me, church? Are you with me, church? I want to know that you're out there. Are you with me, church? Okay, good. So then Paul goes on and says, this is what we're doing. This is what, in order, for this, uh, in order for this surrender to happen, it says you have to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. I love the fact that Paul lays it out. He spells it out very clearly for us. You need to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy, keep that word in mind, holy, not corrupt, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual, uh, spiritual worship. In the NIV, it says spiritual act of worship. Now, for the Jewish reader reading this, this had to hit them in a very profound way because they grew up in a sacrificial system. And the living sacrifice for them was a lamb, a perfect lamb that was without blemish. And their job was to take that lamb and take it to the priest. Now we're going to just pretend this little table is an altar. And so the priest would take the lamb and he would sacrifice it on the altar. And as the participants around watched this lamb and the life leaving its body, they realized it was my sin that did that. It was my sin that caused the death of this lamb. Certainly, the wages of sin is death. Clear the altar of the lamb. In comes Jesus. Do you know what John the Baptist said about Jesus? Behold, behold the perfect lamb of God who will what? Take Away the sins of the world. And so on the altar of God in the form of a cross, Jesus who had lived a perfect life, he told people, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. He gets upon the altar and he dies. And those around that watched the blood come out of his body had to be thinking or should have been thinking, it was my sin. It was my sin that caused the perfect lamb to die. Certainly the wages of sin is death. Of course, Jesus didn't stay on that altar, did he? He didn't stay on the cross. He came off the cross. That's why 1 Peter says this sacrifice was once for all. No more would there ever have to be an animal sacrifice because Jesus paid the cost of our sins once for all, forever. And he proved it by uh, by raising from the dead. And when he rose from the dead, he put an, an explanation point saying, I am Lord. I am the only way. I am the only truth. I am the only life. The only way you get to the Father is through the perfect Lamb of God who died for you. What a beautiful thing that God would clear the altar like that. And my friends, that leaves the way for an altar to be open. And in this altar, we are to present ourselves, our bodies, to God. But here's the deal. As a living sacrifice, I can step upon this altar, and I can present myself to God, but I can also get down from the altar, and I can go do my own thing. That's the risk of a living sacrifice. But when I realize what God has done, I realize that I have to die to myself, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. And so I step upon this altar. And on this altar, I make a decision. I say, God, please take everything in my mind. I want it to be holy. I want it to be acceptable. Help my mind to dwell on the things that would honor you. For my eyes, help me to see the world as you see the world. Help me to be that witness that will I reach out to people as you, reach, as you did in your ministry. Lord, I want my mouth to speak truth. I want it to speak your truth. Not filled with lies. Not filled with deceit. But speaking the things that are holy and pure. Help my ears to listen. To listen to your voice. To listen to what you say to me. and Help me to get my marching orders on a daily basis from you. I pray that my heart, I pray that my heart would be right with you. And that I would love the Lord my God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength. And that I would love my neighbor as myself. I would love uniquely. I pray that my appetite, my appetites for you would be good. That I would hunger and I would thirst for righteousness That my sexuality, my sexuality would be honoring to you. That the marriage bed would always be holy. And that my feet would go to the place where I can share the gospel, the good news to those that are around. Wherever that would be, whether it's on a mission project or in my own hometown. May my feet go where you want me to go. My friends, have you presented yourself as a living sacrifice, holy, and pleasing to God. That's my prayer for each of us. Because when we surrender like that, we can go on in the next part of the passage and start to apply these things. How will we do this? How are we going to live a life of surrender? Paul again spells it out. The first phrase he gives us is he says, don't be conformed to the world. That's where you can start. Don't be conformed. The word conformed means this. It's an outward expression that does not reflect an inward reality. In other words, it's a negative masquerade. We masquerade like the world. It would be the Christian that says, Listen, there's going to be a time where I'll live uniquely and fully for God. But right now, I'm just having my fun. I'm just having a lot of fun. That would be the masquerade. If that person is truly a child of God, what he is saying is, don't masquerade like the world. I want your inside to be shown on the outside. I want it to be seen to the world. That's our responsibility. So do not be conformed to the world. Next, but be transformed. Here's the positive. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The word for transform is the, uh, where we get our English word for metamorphosis. It's kind of like the, the old caterpillar and the cocoon and the coming out as a butterfly. You might think that's dorky. I don't know. But the picture is beautiful because we were this and this is what God is transforming us to. But it comes through the vehicle of renewing our mind. Our mind is so powerful Our mind has the ability to do so many rotten things. Remember the whole inventing of sin? That started in the mind. It started in the mind. But what God is saying is, yeah, there was a lot of corrupt stuff that was put up here in your mind. Now it's time to renew it. Now it's time to take out the old and put in the new. And how do we do it? We do it through God's word because God's word is God's will. And that's how we come along. We start thinking, how do I act in my sexuality? What does God say about purity? How should I do that? And we align ourselves with scripture. Then we get rid of pornography. Then we get rid of the things that are distracting us. We stop flirting with that possible person that likes me or you can tell that there's some kind of vibe there and you know it's an affair waiting to happen you stop it and you align yourself with the word of God how do I think about money instead of just spending 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 we start running things through the grid of what does God say how does it mean what does it mean to be a good steward of God And we just go down one question after another. How do I view God? Who is God? And we align ourselves with what we discover in the scriptures. And then when we do this, the final thing can happen. It says that by testing, you may discern the will of God. I don't know a single person that doesn't want to know the will of God and live out the will of God. That's a believer. I hear it often. What's the will of God for my life? He says, whatever is good and acceptable and perfect. My friends, the will of God is God's word. And if you want to know what God wants for your life, know God's word. And when you do, you will do what is good, what is acceptable, and what is perfect. This is what it means to surrender. That's the foundation. Now we move on. If we have surrender... Then we can learn to submit to one another. This is what he says in verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly than he ought to think, to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as, for as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. And so what Paul is doing is he's letting us see, he's he's answering the question, how should I see myself? He says, I want you to see yourself in light of the grace of God, not in the light of the world, but in the light of the grace of God. The world is always going to tell you something. The world is going to say you're no good. The world is always going to put you down. The world is always going to put cast doubt into your mind. He's going to say that you, have, you, you can't even step forward to do something good for God because you're useless. How many times have you heard those words echo in your mind? I know this guy has a lot of times. But what he wants is, he wants us to view our life in view of grace. He says, for by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, remember, spiritual gifts, they come out of grace. Our identity comes out of grace. Jesus Christ has made us brand new. When you gave your life to Christ, he said, out with the old, in with the new. I'm clothing you with righteousness. The old unrighteousness was taken away. It was nailed to the cross. But I'm clothing you with righteousness. And so when we understand that, we get to start working together in cooperation We don't start thinking that I'm all that. We don't think that way at all. In fact, Paul says we're to think of ourselves, think in sober judgment. The word sober judgment means sound judgment. It means that we act as a servant leader in the body of Christ. See, this is where we take on the character of Christ. Christ was a servant. Christ was humble, and so that should characterize us. That's our responsibility, and when we do that, we can act as a team in the body of Christ. Sound judgment realizes that my gift is one of many colors on God's palette. Do you realize that God has a palette and you're part of that color, that gift of help, that gift of leadership, that gift of mercy, that gift of giving, and all the different gifts are in his palette and you're on that. And he's painting a beautiful picture. And as he paints this picture, he's doing something amazing through the body of Christ because he's orchestrating it. And so when you as a community group go and feed teachers in the public school, God is painting a picture of himself through you to a lost world. When you go and help out with Main Street festival or the, or the uh, the movie nights with the library, when we do that as a body of Christ, and we're just loving people and smiling and, and we offer we say well, we'll pray for you or we might just encourage somebody." what God is doing is he's painting a picture of Christ to that community. When you take a step of faith and say, "You know what?" I'm burdened for my community and I'm going to start an outreach Bible study in my community. When you do that and a few believers join you, God is painting a picture of himself to a lost world. My friends, that's the beauty of what God wants to do in all of us. And that's the beauty of surrender and submission to one another in using our gifts. And that finally leads us to the place where we serve, surrender, submission, serve. We serve in verses five to eight. What Paul's going to do is give us seven practical gifts that are used to build up the body of Christ. Some of them are speaking gifts. Some of them are behind the scenes helping gifts, but no matter what, Therefore, the building up of the body of Christ. Now, we're going to only look at in depth the ones that are new to us. Here's what he says Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Notice how grace is interwoven with all of our spiritual gifts. Let us use them. If prophecy, in proportion to our faith. If service, in our serving. In the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Now, the first three gifts are gifts that we've covered before. Remember prophecy, and this is on your outline, there's a little fill in the blank, the one who knows. This is the one who knows. This is the fourth teller. This is the preacher. This is the one who is a kind of the revivalist. This is where you're at. This is where we want you to go. This is the, the prophet is the preacher. Serve is the one who helps. It's the gift of helps. It's the behind the scenes. I'm going to make things happen, and I love to help. Teaching is the one who instructs. He's the one who makes us want to listen to truth and understand truth. But then he gets to exhort. That's the one who encourages. The one who encourages. Now let me explain this one because this is new. Literally, the word exhort means to call to one side in order to aid. Think about that. To call to one side in order to aid the other person. Now there is two aspects of this gift, a negative and a positive. Let's cover the positive first. In the positive side, this is the person that sees those that need encouragement, that need, uh, that need comfort and need strength. Their heart aches for that person and so they come alongside of them this is a beautiful gift in the church and they encourage and they love that person but it's also a beautiful thing outside the church because there's a lot of people that are hurting please understand every spiritual gift has an application in the body and outside the body To people that do not know the Lord. Jesus did not equip us with gifts just for it to be self-serving. He gave us gifts so that we can minister to each other and minister in the world. So this is the person that does that. Now here's the negative side. The negative side is that this person has the ability to see the person that's living in disobedience and he comes alongside of that person and is able to encourage them towards truth. This person is able to say things that maybe somebody else can't say because they're hard things to hear. But because you're coming in love, because you're coming in truth, this person is able to guide that person towards the right way to go. Maybe it's in loving their spouse properly. Maybe it's, maybe it is in uh, coming to church on a regular basis. Maybe it's getting rid of a particular sin that is in their life. But that's what the encourager does. The next gift is giving. This is a new gift as well. It's also known as contributing. It's the one who shares. And you're outline the one who shares. Now this person is compelled. This person is compelled to give of of their time, their resources, like their house, their car, whatever, and their money, and they see it as all belonging to God. Now, that should be all of us. Please understand that. But this person emphatically sees this in their life. They believe it with all their heart. And so these people, they give consistently. They give liberally. They give sacrificially. In such a way that others are encouraged and blessed. Now please note that this is not a gift for the wealthy. So that's, sometimes we think, oh, the gift of giving. That has to be for the guy that makes a lot of money. Or the gal that makes a lot of money. No, no, no. The example we're given is the Philippians. Who gave out of their poverty to Paul. And he commends them for their sacrificial giving because this is something that they wanted to do. Now, I've seen this many times and some of you have as well. Especially on foreign mission projects. I can remember going to Thailand. Our team went there several years ago. I was the one that uh, went ahead of them to set up the project. And we started at that point, we adopted an entire home and people from Mission View, I got to represent you. I got to take Christmas gifts to the kids and they were so grateful that they have now been adopted and that they can eat properly. They could be dressed properly, but understand they're in deep, deep poverty. And at the very end of the time that I had with them, And this was true of our team that went after us. They were so grateful that they hand stitched these shirts, uh, this shirt, out of their, their resources. Now, please understand, they don't ever go out to eat. Please understand that most of the stuff they use is what they grow. They grow their rice, they grow everything that they consume, they raise their chickens. And so for them to give something like this is a rich reminder to me that I need to be sacrificial in giving. Please understand that I want to excel in these gifts, all of them. We all should want to. We should all want to excel. It may not be your nat- uh, the supernatural gift that God's given you, but we should want to excel. Leadership we've ever already covered... Uh, that is the one who governs that's the one who manages people who sets the lead for people the word the, the last one though is a new one mercy this is the one who shows sympathy this person has a deep desire to show sympathy and kindness to those that don't necessarily deserve it what am i talking about don't deserve it Well, Jesus demonstrated this one day when he was walking down a road with his disciples and there was a blind man named Bartimaeus who called out to Jesus saying, Lord, have mercy, Lord, have mercy. Now, he could have just passed by and kept on going, but he stopped and he ministered to this person who wanted to have his sight. And so he came alongside of them. He didn't have any money to pay for his sight. He didn't have any money to go to a doctor. He didn't deserve this. He didn't work for it. But God gave it to him anyways. And there are always people in our society that are kind of out of sight. There are people that sometimes are just discarded, the homeless, the poor, the widows, the orphan. And that we don't see them, but he says, we want you to, this is a gift of mercy. And this person sees these people and says, I have to do something. And often they compel others that don't even have the gift of mercy to be able to do the same thing. It's a beautiful, beautiful gift that we should want to excel in ourselves. And so we come to the end of the story here. In Romans chapter 12, verses 1 to 8, this is what he wants. Surrender, submission, service. So practically speaking, how do I cultivate and grow my gifts? Just in the last few minutes, let me give you three pointers. This doesn't come from the scriptures. This just comes from my experience. And I want you to think about this. The first thing, well, some of them are scripturally based, I will say that. The first thing is start by asking God to show you the needs around you, to open your eyes. Open your eyes to the needs around you that people have. There was also a story in Matthew chapter 9 where Jesus went into a city with his disciples And it says in the passage that Jesus saw the people and he saw that they were harassed and helpless. And after it says that he saw that they were harassed and helpless, it says that he had compassion in his heart. He felt for them. And then all of a sudden, Jesus starts meeting the needs of people in that community. So he does something. And what I learned from Jesus is that I need to see, I need to feel, and I need to do. But I'll never get to the feel and the do unless I see. And so you ask God to open your eyes to the needs around you. My friends, there are needs within the church. There are needs outside the church. In the needs within the church, if you're wondering what you can do, I'd encourage you to go to our website. There's a drop-down that says Connect. And then you can get to the place where it says service and volunteering at the church. And there's a whole list of ways in which you can serve and you can submit your name. But also, there are going to be some that you major on the outside and you minor in the church. We're all going to have a major and a minor. And some people, our main focus is out there. And that's not a bad thing. I know, Pat and Robin, your main focus is progressive foam. You want to be an influence in that community. Some of us are doing things in our community to reach our community, and that's where a lot of your time and effort is going. That's awesome. When you, are a, when you get into politics for the sake of Christ, when you become a part of city council or the school board, when you are a part of the, uh, the culture, you're a band parent, when you're serving in your neighborhood somehow. My friends, this is what we are called to do inside, outside the church. So ask God to open your eyes. The second thing is turn over the pieces of the puzzle turn over the pieces of the puzzle. You're saying, what are you talking about, Steve? Well, I'm not certain if you're a puzzle person. I'm not really. But when I do a puzzle, my strategy is the outer edge and then start filling in from there. And so I do that in order to see the picture. And after a while, I see the picture of what I'm putting together. In like sense, using our spiritual gifts is like a puzzle. And every opportunity we have to serve God, if it's simply setting up chairs, if it's helping out with the children, if it's doing something for my neighbor, it's a puzzle piece that you're turning over. And every time you do something, God is collecting a picture. And after a while, you start saying, man, I see the picture. I love doing this. I'm good at this. I'm not so good at that, but that's okay. And God starts to reveal to you. What I'm saying is that knowing your spiritual gifts comes through applying and, uh, and, and doing. It's, yes, the spiritual test will help you. We ran out of them last week. There's some more as you go out. But the spiritual test will help you. But doing these things is going to be the greatest help because you're going to see eventually what your gifts are all about. And then the third thing is Be realistic. Just be realistic. Don't romanticize serving the Lord. Often we start using our gifts and we realize along the way that what we're doing is hard work and it requires sacrifices. And yet there are times where we have great joy. And there are other times when the feeling of joy evades us. Here's how you should think of yourself think of yourself like a farmer. A farmer plants his crops with one goal. He wants what? A harvest. Farmer wants a harvest. But let me ask you, when the farmer is out there at the beginning of the season when it's still cold out and he's tilling up the ground, do you think he's like, oh, yeah, this is awesome. I get to till the ground. I just love it. And then spring comes, and he has to get up early to put all the seeds in the ground. And he's like, yes, I'm breaking my back. And then he has to cultivate it all summer long. He has to get rid of the weeds, and it's hard work. Oh, I love this. No, he doesn't do that. You know what he rejoices? When he's sitting at his table eating the food that he grew. When he has money in his bank account because he was faithful to the task. Serving God is like that. When I was a youth pastor, I looked at life as a harvest. And I looked at the school year as the time of tilling and planting and cultivating and you know I saw my summer mission projects those were my harvest times they really were and parents if, if you've questioned whether you should send your kid on a mission trip whether they should stay and you know work please this is the only time in their life that they're going to be able to do something like this they might be able to do it a little bit later but this is a unique time and for me as a youth pastor, it was the time where I got to see so many people change. I see people now in this congregation that were transformed by going to Mexico, that were transformed by going to New Mexico, that were transformed by helping with the disabled. I used to work with the disabled before I got in ministry. It was actually part of me getting into ministry. I had to be a tent maker And so I worked with the disabled, and it was like freaking me out because these people were so different than me. And then as I started working with the disabled, I realized that these guys just were trapped in a body that didn't work and needed love. And it was the most transforming job, the most transforming two years that I had in my life. And when I walked out the door on my last day, I cried like a baby because of what these people taught me. These people became my friends. I went to Cedar Point with uh, Kirk Cunningham. He came over to our house. Mark Snyder came over to our house. He had MS, and he was progressing. Uh, He used to be an engineer, and now he couldn't do anything with his body. But he became a dear friend. He's gone home to be with the Lord now. What I'm saying is that when we present ourselves as a living sacrifice, when we do that, it's hard work, but there are times of reaping the harvest. And so this morning, I want us to dedicate ourselves, and I'm going to ask you to stand at this point. And I' I'm, I'm going to be praying through first Peter, Peter that's going to be on the screen here. First Peter that's going to be on the screen. First Peter chapter four, verses 10 to 11. And as I read this, I hope that this will be a prayer of dedication and your own heart. And then we're going to sing a song of action, a song of how we need to just present ourselves to God. And this is the prayer. Let's pray together. Lord, as, as each person has received this beautiful, beautiful grace that came in such a costly way, as each of us have received this gift, I pray, Father, that we would use it to serve one another that we would serve one another in the body, that we would serve those that are outside the church. Lord, help us to be a good steward of the grace that you've given us in its various forms. We know that these gifts have come from your grace and help us not to just place it to the side. Help us not to neglect what you have given to us. I pray, Father, that if we have speaking gifts that we would speak as if we were speaking the very oracles of God the very words of God help us to take it so serious that we represent you on that level and Lord whoever has gifts of ministry of behind the scenes service I pray father that we would serve with all the strength that you give us because we're going to need it Because it's hard work, but it's fulfilling work. And Lord, in everything, in everything, God, we pray that you would be glorified through Jesus Christ. Because to you belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever.